English 210 and welcome to week four. Um, this week we are looking at reader response criticism. So last week we, um, or the week before actually, we talked about new criticism. Um, you read a prominent new critic. Um, you read about new criticism in the textbook. Um, hopefully you're finding this text, um, as it says um, in the title, a user-friendly guide. Um, easy to read. As I read it again, um, I, I am again convinced that this is the best theory text I've found. Um, I feel like the author does a really good job of breaking these theories down and giving you good examples and um, just generally making it intelligible. And as, as you'll see, um, so far, our, I think our theories are pretty straightforward, um, but they'll get a lot more complex as we go. And I think this author does a great job of breaking them down. So um, we read about new criticism, and we, um, we did a new critical close reading of a poem. Um, I will be getting back to you on those this week. I try to get everything back within a week. Um, I will send you my comments via email. Um, remember that I'm not grading assignments. I'm just going to comment on them. Um, you will have a chance to revise, so my comments and edits will give you suggestions for revision, um, and you will always have a chance to revise everything, um, as long as you do it, submit it by the end of, of the semester. Um, so you, uh, I will be reading those close readings, and um, this week we're going to be looking at um, reader response theory. So. Actually, this week we're going to do things a little bit differently, a different order this week. Um, you're actually listening to this uh, at the end of the lesson plan. The first thing you should have done for this week is to uh, write your reading response. So instead of writing your read reading response last, this week you're doing it first. And I've given you a text um, that hopefully you'd never, you'd never seen before. You didn't know what it was. Um, uh, let me see, let me get there. Just a, a four-line, as you as you found out, a four-line poem um, by Robert Frost. Um, hopefully you didn't redo the readings first, you did this first, so um, you were looking at this completely cold, right? Um, so you did this first, um, and then you did the reading for New Criticism in the textbook. You read the chapter on New Criticism in the textbook. Hopefully that clarified a lot for you about what new criticism is all about. Sorry, reader response criticism is all about. Um, and then you uh, read the text that I gave you, um, the representative reader response critical text, um, which is by uh, Louise Rosenblatt. And she was a reader response critic. Um, this actually is from 1964. This is a chapter in a longer book um, from 1964. And it's called The Poem as Event. You're going to read that, or you read that. And then finally, um, the text that I'm choosing, the literary text that I'm choosing as representative of reader response theory, criticism, um, a text that I think absolutely relies on the reader, um, can't function without the reader, um, is Crossing Brooklyn Ferry by Walt Whitman. Um, as you'll see, I'm going to be using some Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson texts in this class because I have another class in which I'm we're reading all Whitman and Dickinson. Um, so I'm trying to do some double, double duty here. Um, 
using some Whitman and Dickinson poems for the theory class as well. Um, but as I say, I think Crossing Brooklyn Ferry is the best example I know of, um, of a poem that relies on the reader. Um, it, it sort of enacts, I think, this idea of the transactional nature of, of uh, or the transactional relationship between the text and the reader. Um, so I'll talk about that in, in a minute. Um, first thing I want to do is go over, oh, so after you've done this, after you've read the, the example critical text by Louise Rosenblatt and the poem by Walt Whitman, then I, what I want you to do is go back after you've read everything and you know now what's going on with this four-line poem, this little quatrain, um, I want you to go back to the Padlet responses, the reader, res uh, sorry, the reading responses for this week, and check out what your um, classmates have said about the same text. Um, think about how you were approaching this and look at what your peers have done, how your peers have approached it, and see if you can find any similarities or commonalities. Um, do you find that your way of um, working through the text and trying to make sense of it, did it follow um, the way Louise Rosenblatt describes her students doing? Um, do you find your response, the way you've worked through the text, does it resemble the way your classmates have done it? Do you all, are you all coming at it a bit differently? Um, this is really what reader response is all about. Reader response criticism is about the way readers process a text, um, how they process the text, how individual readers process text differently, and how um, communities of readers um, may process a text. So individuals come together in some ways. This class um, would be considered a kind of interpretive community. Um, that's a reader response term. Um, interpretive communities, this idea that um, on different levels, like a book group, for example, might be an interpretive community. A college course would, of course, be uh, an interpretive community. A high school class would be an interpretive community. Um, and in some ways, like all American students right now, are, we are our own, you are your own interpretive community in a way because as we said, as we, as we established a couple weeks ago with New Criticism, um, New Criticism has been the foundation of our educational system since basically the 70s, right? So like half a century. Um, so we're all sort of coming at a text from that new critical foundation. So in that sense, I think all American students who've been educated in the American educational system are in a way their own kind of interpretive community. Um, so new criticism. I keep going back to new criticism. It's not new criticism this week. It's reader response criticism. I promise I will get that right. Um, I'm going to just uh, go over a few um, points in the textbook, and you could follow along with me. Um, this is on page 170. Um, just some definitions about reader response criticism from Lois Tyson. Um, she says that um, 
I'm on page 170 in the middle of the first full paragraph. Reader response theory, which didn't receive much attention until the 1970s, maintains that what a text is cannot be separated from what it does. So you'll remember that the new critics believe that the text is like this self-contained autonomous object um, that's sort of independent of both the author and the reader, right? Um, but new reader response criticism, I swear I'll get this right, reader response criticism um, says, no, you can't separate the text from what it does um, or from, from what the reader does to it, okay? Um, she says, for despite their diver divergent views of the reading process, which we'll examine a little later, reader response theorists share two beliefs. First, that the role of the reading that the role of the reader cannot be omitted from our understanding of literature. And second, that readers do not passively consume the meaning presented to them by an objective literary text. Rather, they actively make the meaning they find in literature. So that's it. Um, that's really the, the basis of reader response criticism, that the reader is an active participant in the making of the text, and that the text relies on the reader to exist in a way, right? It's not, um, Louise Rosenblatt actually um, distinguishes between the term, the text and the poem. Um, the text is just written words on the page, right? Um, just words, the physical words on the page. A poem is what happens when the reader reads the text. And she calls all texts that have been read by a reader poems, because the poem is kind of like the archetype of the literary text. It's, it's like um, the, the paragon, I guess. And as a poet, of course, I would, I would subscribe to that belief, right? That the, the, the poem is like what language literature aspires to. Um, so she, she calls the, the poem is, is what the reader creates from the text, if that makes sense. Um, let's see, what else? I'm gonna go down a little bit, um, the second paragraph on page 170. The second belief that readers actively make meaning suggests, of course, that different readers may read the same text quite differently. In fact, reader response theorists believe that even the same reader reading the same text on two different occasions will probably produce different meanings because so many variables contribute to our experience of the text. Um, surely you've found that to be true, haven't you? Uh, can you think of a text that you've read more than once that you felt differently about uh, upon subsequent readings? Um, any, any books you know? Like, I can think for myself, I absolutely hated Moby Dick um, when I read it in, I think, high school. Um, but later in grad school, I was just, I fell in love with, with Moby Dick and Melville in general, and I was just completely enamored. Um, and it absolutely had to do with my maturity, I think, my, my reading level, my skills, um, my just, I needed to grow up, I think, before I could read that. I feel, feel like there are a lot of texts um, for which that is true, a lot of texts that are taught. A lot of books that are taught in high school 
um, and middle school. I also remember reading Great Expectations in seventh grade thinking, uh, WTF, I mean, what, what are you doing giving me Great Expectations? I'm 12 years old, you know, and I still think that that was probably a little too early. Um, but some books we, we have to grow into. Um, do you find that's true? Have you found, is, has there been um, a book that really resonated with you at a different point when you, when you read it at a different time? Um, so consider that. Um, okay, let's see. Um, I'm going to go on to page 173 in the text and talk a little bit about transactional reader response theory. Um, and Louise Rosenblatt is the uh, progenitor of that school of reader response theory. And that's really where we're going to concentrate. That's what we're going to focus on, transactional reader response theory. Um, the first paragraph on page 173, um, often associated with the work of Louise Rosenblatt, who for formulated many of its premises, transactional reader response theory analyzes the transaction between the text and the reader. Rosenblatt doesn't reject the importance of the text in favor of the reader. Rather, she claims that both, both are necessary in the production of meaning. She differenti differentiates among the terms text, which refer to the printed words on the which refers to the printed words on the page, reader, and poem, which refers to the literary work produced by the text and the reader together. Does that make sense? So the poem is what the reader creates by reading it and making meaning, interpreting it. Um, so how does it how does it happen? Well, um, the, uh, Lois Tyson goes on to explain um, Rosenblatt's theory, how this works, how the text acts as a stimulant, a stimulant, stimulus, stimulant, a stimulus uh, to which we respond in our own personal way. Um, she goes on to say, at various points while we read, however, the text acts as a blueprint that we can use to correct our interpretation when we realized it has traveled too far afield of what is written on the page. So she talks about this process of self-correction. Um, the reader self-corrects. The text instructs us how to read it. Um, if it's if it's a well-written text, we should understand, should give us clues. It should act as a kind of a blueprint or a map um, for how to read it. So in Rosenblatt's theory, I mean, she's actually not straying all that far from new criticism because in, in a sense, this idea of the text is a blueprint, that's kind of, I mean, that's holding on to some new criticism, some new critical ideas um, that... Um, but, but for Rosenblatt, you, you can't separate the text by itself. You have to have the reader. Without the reader, there can't be a poem. There's only a text. Um, and also in Rosenblatt's theory, you can, it is possible to misread a text, right? Um, you have to, again, she, she also believes in this idea of textual evidence that the, the poem or the text is going to teach you how to read it through its words, and that is its textual evidence. That's the textual evidence you need for the interpretation you come up for that for that text. Um, so this idea of a self-corrective process. 
Um, did you did you notice that when you were writing your response to the quatrain, the Frost quatrain? Did you notice that you were kind of second guessing yourself? Like maybe you had one idea at the beginning, and then the more you thought about it, you thought, mm, I don't know, that seems not quite right. Or there's this sort of self correcting process that goes on all the time um, when you read. And that process is going to be different every time. Even for the same text, it may, it may be different. The same reader and the same text. That self-corrective process is always going to be a little bit different every time. Um, she also talks about two modes of reading here. Um, Louise Rosenblatt and Lois Tyson talking about Louise Rosenblatt. Um, down at the bottom of page 173. She talks about uh, the aesthetic mode and the efferent mode. The efferent mode. The aesthetic mode is where we are focusing on what the text means. The efferent mode is just the simple information in the text, right? So like this quatrain, for example, um, the uh, efferent reading of it would be like it's a four-line stanza. It's a, it's a quatrain. It's a poem. It's a quatrain. It's got a rhyme scheme, run and sun, fighting, lighting. Um, it's got a meter as well. Um, you know, just sort of like facts about the poem. That would be the efferent mode. Um, but a reader should always be, Louise Rosenblatt argues, in the aesthetic mode. Right? The aesthetic mode, the effort mode is when you're just first reading and you're just reading for information. And then you read deeper. And when you're reading deeper, that's the aesthetic mode. Then you're working in the aesthetic mode of interpretation. Okay, um, I think that's all I really want to say about um, the Tyson chapter. Um, I had you also read... Uh, the poem is event, this chapter by Louise Rosenblatt. And as you found out, she um, did the same experiment, right, with her grad students with this frost quatrain, um, had them write their first uh, reactions to the text um, without telling them anything about it. And then they examined their reactions. Um, so I had you do the exact same thing. We tried the exact same experiment. And as I say, I want you to look over your classmates' responses and see how they all differ. Where, where do they differ and uh, where are they similar? How are they similar? How are they different? How are your individual reading responses and your interpretations, your experiences as a reader, um, how are they unique to you and how do they seem to be forming part of this uh, interpretive community? which is our class, English 210. Um, okay, so for the poem as event, um, a couple of things I want to point, just, just a, a couple places in this text, passages in the text I'd like to point out. On page 125, the first full paragraph on the left, um, what, they, uh, what she uh, deduced from this experiment. She says, certain points clearly emerge. First of all, the reader is active. He is not a blank tape registering a ready-made message. 
he is actively involved in building up a poem for himself out of the lines. Okay, so the reader is active in the process of interpreting the, po uh, the text and turning it into a poem. Um, the last paragraph on the same page, she says, most important is the fact that the reader's creation of a poem out of a text must be self-ordering and self-correcting, right? Um, did you, again, I asked you, did you do that? Did you see some self-correcting and self-ordering happen um, when you were looking at this quatrain? Um, and probably the most important passage, I think, from this text that I want to emphasize and how it relates to the Whitman poem is on page 126, um, the second column um, at the bottom, second to last paragraph at the bottom. She says, a poem then must be thought of as an event in time. A poem is an event in time. So a poem is not a thing like the new critics would, would have us believe. But a poem is an event in time. And by poem, she means any literary work, right? Not just poem, not just an actual poem, but a short story, a novel, um, a lyric essay, um, any literary text. When it's read and it's um, processed by a reader, then becomes a poem and it becomes an event in time. It is not an object or an ideal entity. It is an occurrence, a coming together, a compenetration. I love that word. That's such a Whitmanian word, a compenetration, compenetration. Um, he's penetrating you and you're penetrating him. You probably don't like that idea, but Whitman does, believe me. Um, a coming together, a compenetration of the reader and a text. The reader brings to the text his past experience. The encounter gives rise to a new experience, a poem. Okay, so um, I love this idea of the poem as an event in time. And I feel like Crossing Brooklyn Ferry epitomizes that idea. Um, it's a really long poem. I don't think I want to read it all. But I've always thought that there's... Um, uh, almost like a like a sci-fi aspect to this poem. Um, that is, the poem is um, a kind of it's about time travel. It's, it's a it's a time travel poem. Um, Whitman is talking directly to us right now, to you, in the year twenty twenty one. Let's see. This poem was written in was it eighteen sixty? Is that right? It wasn't in the original 1855 edition, as I recall, of Leaves of Grass. Um, but this is a long poem, um, one of his more famous poems. He's, direct, he's talking directly to his audience. Um, he is um, on a ferry, um, crossing, as the title says, crossing Brooklyn Ferry. He's on a ferry um, uh, crossing the river um, from Brooklyn to Manhattan. And he is thinking about all the people on this ferry. And he's thinking about all the people that will um, ever board this ferry. All the passengers that will ride this ferry in the future. Um, he's thinking about it, um, as I say, in terms of a kind of, uh, the poem as a kind of uh, time capsule, time travel capsule um, that allows him to reach you here 
in the year 2021. Um, let's see, as he says in chapter, chap, uh, sorry, chapter, section three, section three of the poem, he says, it avails not time nor place, distance avails not. I am with you, you men and women of a generation, or ever so many generations hence. Um, so he says, you know, just as I did all these things, you do all these things, or will do all these things. Um, he says, uh, chap uh, I keep saying chapter, section five. Sometimes his, his sections are so long, they feel like chapters. Um, but this is section five of the poem. He says, what is it then between us? What is the count of the scores or hundreds of years between us? Um, I was, I did this, I did this. Um, I was there too. Everything that you've done, I've done. Um, he says the same thing in, in section six. All of these things, all of these bad moods that I have, that you have, um, I had too. I did all of the things, all the bad things that you did, I've done too. I'm just like you is basically what he's, what he's saying. Um, in section seven, he says, closer yet I approach you. What thought you have of me now, I had as much of you. I laid in my stores in advance. I considered long and seriously of you before you were born. Who was to know what should come home to me? Who knows, but I am enjoying this. Who knows for all the distance, but I am as good as looking at you now for all you cannot see me. So, I don't know, some, some, some people find these lines kind of creepy. Like, I <laughs> uh, Whitman as the voyeur or the, the peeping Tom or something. He's like stalking you. Um, but I actually find it quite uh, comforting and reassuring. Like Whitman as this sort of, um, I don't know, guardian angel character who's looking, looking out for me, thinking about me even before I was born. Um, so this idea of the poem as an event in time, I feel like this poem um, illustrates that idea beautifully um, and how time collapses here. So in 1860, when um, Whitman was standing uh, on the Brooklyn Ferry watching the crowds come and go, um, watching people get on and off the ferry. And he used to do this a lot, actually, in his, in his actual life. He would um, ride the ferry back and forth across the river, watching the crowds come and go. Um, uh, this idea of the poem as an event in time. Um, he's collapsing time here through the poem. Um, to be with us, to be with you. And he can't do it without you. He needs you. Um, he needs you to uh, join him on this journey. It is very much a transactional um, kind of relationship, a kind of exchange, a kind of journey. Um, and I hope, I hope that's, that's apparent to you in the poem. I think the idea of the ferry itself, the idea of a boat, um, crossing a river. Um, yeah, there's something in, in that image itself, in the symbolism of that image. I think of um, mythology, actually. Um, the, the boatman, Charon, who's 
um, guiding, ferrying souls back and forth from the living to the land of the dead. Um, this is my favorite Whitman poem. It's always been one of my favorite Whitman poems. And um, again, I think it's a, a beautiful example, representative example of um, reader response criticism, how the text relies on you as a reader to make meaning. And everything that goes into that is relevant um, to our understanding of a text. So all of the thoughts and feelings, emotions, memories, um, everything that the, the, the text triggers for you is part of that process of making meaning and creating the poem. So you create the poem along with the text. And the author has essentially left the text as a blueprint for you. And your job as the reader is to read that blueprint and create a poem. So I love reader response theory. I feel like it's the theory that I've always, um, new critical theory and reader response theory, I use a combination of both. And of course, in, in some classes I'm using historical criticism, new historicism, I'm using biographical criticism, I'm using feminist criticism. So if you're in my Whitman Dickinson class, for example, you're probably getting a little taste of all of these theories. Um, and yeah, I mean, I use all of, it depends on the course I'm teaching. Um, but I think as like the foundation of the, the foundation of how I teach literature is new critical in terms of how, how to analyze a poem. Um, and some of my ideas about being an artist and a poet myself, I think are also based in new criticism. And then I also have a very strong hold in reader response criticism. And um, I'm, I'm very interested, um, just as, uh, as a poet myself, I'm interested in how... Hi, English 210. I'm really sorry. I think I accidentally stopped recording. I didn't realize it. I just kept talking. And then I realized that um, my recording was no longer going. Um, but as I was saying, um, I, as a poet, am interested in how readers um, read my, my work. Um, I'm interested in different interpretations of my poems. And again, I found that often I, I don't know what my intentions for a poem it, are. Um, I have, didn't go into the poem with certain intentions, go into writing the poem with certain intentions for it. Um, so it's always really interesting to me to see how readers read and interpret my work. And I find often that I learn from my readers. Um, I learn things about the poem that I was not aware of, um, either, either writing the poem or like after. Um, so reader response theory has been a sort of a mainstay for me, both as a, as a teacher of poetry and as a poet myself. Um, I feel very strongly aligned with the reader response critics and the tenets of reader response theory. So hopefully that gives you a, a good overview, broad overview of reader response criticism. Um, again, I want to stress this idea that like reader response theorists didn't think it was like an interpretation free for all. You know, they weren't, um, they didn't think that like anything goes, like the reader can make any meaning out of a text that they want. Um, 
again, you have to stay faithful for a reader response critic. You have to stay faithful to the blueprint of the text. And that's, again, where the sort of new critical idea comes in. Um, that you use the text as the foundation for your response. Um, and, and not all responses are valid, right? Not all interpretations are valid, and some interpretations are more valid than others. Um, I've often said that there's no um, right or wrong way to read a poem. There's no right way to read a poem, only a better way. So, and I think that's true. I mean, there can always be a, a, a someone else has a better idea about about what the poem is about. Um, so there you go. A uh, broad overview of reader response theory. Um, hopefully this clarifies for you, and I hope you have a great week. As always, I'm here to answer any questions. Let me know. Um, I always have Thursday at 2 o'clock, um, 2 to 3, open for office hours, virtual office hours. So if you ever have a question, just send me an email, and we'll set up a time to talk. Hope everyone has a great week. Bye.